0: It's a good day? Amen? Amen. It's a good day. It's always a good day because we're here. God's got a purpose. God's got a plan. God's got me in his hand. (laughs) Amen. Well, how much guilt do you carry? (laughs) I didn't ask you how much money did you carry. Didn't ask you uh, what insurance company you carry. (laughs) How much guilt do you carry? Well, let's look at uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 21 and 22. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Well, guilt is something that... um, Sometimes people specialize in guilt. Now, some parents think that guilt is a gift. Because if you make the kids feel guilty enough, they'll do what you want them to. I didn't hear any amens. Okay, so, <laughs> you know, do that, huh? uh, you know. Uh, well, we know that guilt is, uh, there, there's, well, guilt means, uh, on the definition of it, the guilt, the noun, means uh a uh, committed a specific or implied offense or crime, and an, uh, a specific or implied. I like the verb uh, of guilt. It says make someone feel guilty, especially in order to induce them to do something. <laughs> so often we that is the the guilt that I- is induced to get people to do something. Now um, some some individuals feel that. Uh, Guilt is a gift that they should use to manipulate anybody and everybody they can. But um, throughout our lives, many of us, and I think some of the churches specialize, some church organizations and denominations specialize in guilt and uh, try to make people feel as guilty as possible. Well, what I have entitled today is the heavy haul bag of guilt. The heavy haul bag of guilt. Anybody know what a haul bag is? <laughs> My son, he's the rock climber. Now, if you are a rock climber, and I'm, I'm sure they have haul bags for other things, if you are a rock climber, did you ever wonder what these guys do for food and you know relieving themselves on a two or three day climb up the side of a mountain? They have a haul bag and their haul bag is filled with everything that they will possibly need. What if it rains? What if a storm comes in? What if the temperature drops? Do they have enough food to, to stay a couple more days than they have planned? So what happens is you have one individual who starts up a route, and he puts these things, these protectors, uh, in, the, in the cracks, and they attach their rope to it, and he, he climbs up to the next one, and he puts another protection in there, about every 10 yards or 15. It all depends on how far he'd like to fall before he gets caught. And, uh, and so they keep doing that, and the pitch is about 100, 100 feet, because the rope's 100 feet. You know, they generally have a 120 foot rope. So anyhow, when that guy gets to the uh, top of 100 feet, he stops, he puts the anchor in, and he then becomes the individual who holds the rope for the guy coming up behind him, taking out the protection and climbing up to the next guy. So they both get together. Well, when they are there both together, they got to bring the haul bag up. So the haul bag is something you drag up, hand over hand, pulling it up until you bring it up to where you're at. So it's something you bring with you. It's your, it's your food. <laughs> it's your bathroom supplies. <laughs> it's your porta ledge where you're going to sleep. It's everything that you're going to need. It's your drinking water, it's food, everything you're going to need for the next couple days if you're going to be on a, a climb for a whole day or a many days. And so that's a haul bag. Well, we pick up our own haul bag, <laughs> and it's a haul bag of guilt. <laughs> so whenever I ask you how much guilt do you, do you uh, carry, it becomes a heavy burden. You, you go 100 feet and you drag the bag. <laughs> you go another 100 feet and you drag the bag. You, you know, so it's nothing but walking, thinking you're free, but you know you've got to bring your guilt bag with you. And so the, we, we can label this guilt bag my personal bag of guilt. <laughs> and what that means is it's a bag for all occasions. It can be brightly de- decorated. It can be camouflaged. And it could be like, uh, we're hiding it. But it's mainly made up of missed opportunities. Failing failing to measure up. <laughs> doing something wrong or doing something we shouldn't have. T- times we become fed up with life and circumstances and people and lost our temper. <laughs> you know, all those things that we kind of hide and, 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 and look at and, you know, try not to look at, but we we'll always bring with us. And uh, some... <laughs> I like the one where I was raised in a bad environment. It's my parents' fault. (laughs) It's all the guilt bag. But anyone, and I'm not a country western or country music fan, but, you know, when you look at Loretta Lynn or Dolly Parton, those individuals grew up in the mountains on dirt floors and big families and no food. (laughs) And uh, they were able to overcome those difficulties of where they came from to become superstars in the the music world and uh, and other areas. So excuses and guilt become to some individuals a haul bag and to others it becomes something that they use to take them uh, to a a different, move on to a different location, a different height in their life. And people who don't face the obstacles make excuses (laughs) to lessen the blame. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. Well, we, might, we have to understand that there's good guilt and there's bad guilt. The first is <laughs> um, not all guilt is bad. As a matter of fact, there is, like I said, there's some parents who would say that guilt is a, is a, a virtue. <laughs> guilting, guilting kids and guilting them to do what they, they think is right. But guilt should come from viewing God and His holiness and His character. You know, the old expression, what would Jesus do? You know, that was when you wore those bands, you know, what would Jesus do? And uh, I was things. do any of you remember that? Okay, so it's not too far back. So, what would Jesus do? So we have an, we have a pattern. We have an idea of what is what we are to look forward to or shoot towards. So what would Jesus do in this situation? So... Um, wrong guilt. you know what a wrong guilt would be? Well, wrong guilt is cleanliness is next to godliness. That's not in the Bible. But you should take a bath. <laughs> you know, you should clean up your house. You should clean up your room. You know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Clean up your room. You know, then God will appreciate you. You know, it's, it's guilt. You know, do this because God demands it and it's, it's just wrong. So good guilt is actually godly sorrow. Good guilt is godly sorrow, something that leads us to God, something that leads us to repentance or or examining, self-examining ourselves in the light of the Word of God and in in the Holy Spirit and God's presence. So we never need to be afraid of that. (laughs) That's, That's kind of the good guilt. It's like the red light on your dash in your car. If the red light comes on in the dash of your car, it means there's something wrong. We need to get it checked out. Well, Rachel, she had a car at at college, and I thought it was a really nice car. And she had the red light would come on, and she went and got it checked out. The guy says, don't worry about it, that's just a short. So she's traveling somewhere on the interstate. Red light comes on, she says, don't worry about it, you know, it's just a short. Then the engine blew up. It was the wrong red light. So we find that these little lights that go on in our hearts and lives are things that can warn us that there's a problem. And sometimes guilt can be that, or sometimes it's the Holy Spirit saying to us, there's a little quickening, there's a little, like, in our minds, don't do that, don't go there. You know, I remember in in, uh, Texas, in Dallas, there was this company company, that went under a number of years ago. A very large company, and there was a Christian uh, firm that was approached to be part of this big, um, big firm, the big, the big investment that was coming to coming to that area. And so the you know everybody was on it. The who's who of Dallas were all involved in this in this uh, making money you know investment. But this one company, they prayed and they said, you know, we shouldn't do this. And parts of, the, you know, the, the, the group, there's like four of them, They said and they challenged each other about it, but the bottom line is they felt that um, they shouldn't invest and they should not be part of this. So for fast forward a year, year and a half or whatever, um, there was this big investigation, and it was, you know, there was a lot of fraud, and all these people were being summoned and things like that, and this company was not part of it <laughs> because there was this inkling in their heart this isn't right for us. Now, you know, sometimes things can be right for other people and not right for us as individuals. So that's why we allow the Holy Spirit to work within our lives. So if we allow wrong events to continue to go on, we will, we will allow ourselves to become familiar and that it is almost like that's a norm. Well, in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, Verse 10 says, "For the kind of sorrow God wants wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There is no regret for that kind of sorrow, and that's the important part that when we are led away from things that, doing things wrong, you know, again if we have to look at all the events you know, and what I can't stand up here and tell you this is wrong, that's wrong. You know. yeah, there are a lot of things, decisions you have to make in your own life that God has to lead you. Okay. Well, in this case, we find that there is no regret for the kind of sorrow that makes us aware of our walk with God. But then it goes on to say, worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Worldly sorrow. Well, as we were talking about bad guilt, bad guilt consumes us and separates us from God. Bad guilt is saying that um, there is no accountability, there is no judgment to come, there is no something, that, the higher standard that you have to, to live by. You know, one of the jokes would be you get a nosebleed living up there so high. You, know, high, you know, you're you're walking the high road above everybody else, and they are making fun of you. You know, do you have a nosebleed from up there? So it's like get down to earth. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that that was a knock against someone who lived a seemingly godly life. The verse says that the result of worldly sorrow is spiritual death, which means we're being cut off from God. Worldly sorrow is grieving without God. Grieving without God, and what would that be? Grieving without God forces uh, us to live in fear, forces people to live in fear, people who force themselves to believe that there is no God. You know, (laughs) I wish that I could have taken videos of people who were dying who didn't believe in God, you know, um, who literally fought against anything that was Christian in any type of of prayer. I wish I could have taken a video of that because you would not want to be one of those individuals. (laughs) You would not want to be an individual who is hanging onto the rails and saying I'm on fire and and he's dying. (laughs) You would not want to be an individual who hated God publicly and let everybody know what his anti-God sentiments were and he's in bed and people are pulling all over him, trying to hold him down, and he's had enough medication to to take down an elephant and he can't because they're telling him it's okay to die and he's frightened. He's fighting because he's he's afraid of death. And they're the ones who said to me, get out of here. We don't want your spirit here. So you see, there is a godly sorrow that leads to repentance, that leads to a life that is found in Christ and and that gives to us a strength that is better or greater than the difficulties. Worldly sorrow leads us to feel (laughs) worldly sorrow leads only to guilt, shame, despair, depression, self-pity, and hopelessness. (laughs) People die from those things. In the you know, sometimes you go to the basketball games, and uh, I, I, I like to go sometimes. Uh, sometimes I just had enough. I don't want to go and be all worked up for some reason uh, <laughs> at the officials or somebody else, you know, sitting behind me. But... Uh, you know, you hear people you know screaming like if they they shoot the ball and miss the entire, you know, miss the backboard, they miss everything. You hear people say air airball, airball. That's not for their good of the person who shot, <laughs> or for someone who um, was caught, got got a foul and the congreg and the congregation. The audience goes you, 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 <laughs> and they're pointing out that's not a redemptive quality. It's to get them off their game, to get in their head, to get them away from shooting or doing their best. You see, guilt is that type of a, a response from Satan that tries to get us to move away from the intended course that God wants you to. That's why we've got to know that in Christ there is forgiveness. In Christ there is a release from guilt and shame. There is forgiveness. Now, it doesn't mean everything goes away. It means that we have a different approach to us. We're not dragging our haul bag with us wherever we go. So the enemy tries to to do this to us, pointing out our imperfections, our failures. um, Trying to separate us from that special status that we have with God. When there is too much guilt, everything is wrong. We're paralyzed by guilt. We're paralyzed by a sense of, of, of low self-esteem. There is worldly sorrow, which is worldly counsel, which means there's nothing wrong. If you can step on whomever you want to get ahead, don't worry about it. It's just so that you get out ahead in the end. Well, those are all things that re- re- go against the godly principles of it's all about me. I, mine, you know. No guilt is just as bad as too much guilt. So no guilt happens when there is no sense of right or wrong. I remember an interview of a guy who was on death row. And uh, while he was on death row, he had killed, I think, two, three, four men in prison. And in the interview, they asked him, "Well, why is it that you do this? know? <laughs> What makes, you know, you, you killed someone, you're on death row for, th- for that uh, crime. Now you've killed other people in, in, in prison here. What, what, what's going on? And he says, well, they got in my space. <laughs> you see, it's all about me and my, and mine, and don't interrupt my space. For most of us, we need to cancel the guilt trips. <laughs> the haul bag is... Weariness, <laughs> the haul bag is weighing us down. It's all the things that we can remember of doing wrong, and we've got them stuffed in this bag, and we pull out, we pull them along, and, and pull them out on certain occasions. David told a story of um, he and a, he took someone climbing with him, and his he was meeting a friend who also brought, brought someone to climb. And so David and his friend, you know, they talked to the two guys. They brought with, oh, yeah, we can climb, we can climb. We've done this for many times. So David and his friend, they went climbing. They were gone most of the day and come back to camp. And these two guys weren't there. (laughs) So they got worried, you know, so they went out looking for them. And so when they got to the place where they had told them to be, there these guys are about 150 feet off the ground and just standing there, (laughs) uh, petrified, frozen, and, of course, Dave and his friend went up there and brought them back down. Things What happened was that the, they, they thought they knew how to climb until the guy who was bringing up behind was pulling the, the protection they put in the cracks. He was just able to pop it out. And what that means is if the person had fallen, all of those things of protection would have popped out and they both would have fallen to the ground. And when the second guy was coming up, got to the first guy and said, do you know what you're doing? He says, oh yeah. He said, well, why are all these things popping out of, the, out of the, the cracks? You're not putting them in right. And he says, well, I never did know how to do it. And they stood there all day in this little place waiting <laughs> for, for, for David and his friend to come back and rescue them. Self-reliance, no training, Believing in self more than believing in God isolates us from God and isolates us from bringing out and being the best that we could be. Disappointment discourages us and anxiety plagues us. So these are all the big heavy haul bags that people have and they're, dry, and they're dragging them. They are dragging them along behind them. And one of the best illustrations we have of that is Peter. You know, Peter, whenever he was at the Last Supper there with, with uh, Jesus, and Jesus said that he was going to be betrayed, and, and uh, they would all forsake him, Peter says, not me. <laughs> I won't betray you. You know, uh, then anybody, all these other guys will, but I'll never do that. Well, we know that uh, a few hours later, <laughs> Peter uh, betrayed Jesus three times. He denies even knowing him. Peter denied Jesus the person that he had pledged to die for. The worst part of it all was that on the third time, he was there in in a proximity to Jesus, and when he denied Jesus the third time, he looked over, and there was Jesus looking at him, and the cock was crowing, and Peter had denied him, and he ran away. You see, that kind of guilt is something that um, for Peter, and, and it can happen to anyone. You see, what happened with Peter was he was willing to die for Jesus, okay? So whenever the people came to arrest Jesus, what did Peter do? He pulled out his sword. He had imagined a way that he was going to die a glorious death, protecting his, his, uh, his teacher, his, you know, his rabbi. And so he goes out and he, he slices off I don't think he was aiming for the ear of the one guy, but he slices off his ear. And, of course, they all grab him, whatever. And Peter says, Pe- you know, Peter, Jesus says, Peter, put it down. I'm going with them. See, sometimes in life we, we have it all planned out as to how all this is going to come down. And Peter had that in his mind. Jesus was going to be... King, he was going to be ruler, he's going to be the new Messiah, and I'm going to fight for him, and he'll intervene for us, and we'll just beat these guys, and we're not, you know, we're going to be number one. Well, Jesus said, Peter, put your sword away. We're not doing it that way. So Peter's confused. And so he's following Jesus, you know, wanting to stay close enough to find out what's going on, but um, guess what happens? He denies Jesus. So Peter took a guilt trip. Now you think about it. They did not know what to do. Okay? Jesus was taken. They didn't want that to happen. He was beaten and flogged and crucified, died, placed in a tomb, rose from the dead. They saw him and all was, this was going on, but what are we going to do now? So do you know what Peter did with his guilt and the others for fleeing and running away? They went fishing. (laughs) They went back to the Sea of Galilee, which was a 40-mile walk, that they went back to the Sea of Galilee, and they went fishing. In John 21, it says, so they're out there fishing. They haven't caught anything. And so Jesus shows up at the shore of uh, uh, the Sea of Galilee. He says, throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. (laughs) You know, I always love that. You've been you've been fishing on the left side of the boat, and the fish are on the right side. You know, <laughs> you know. So Jesus tells Peter and the disciples, "Are there? Throw your net on the left side." And when they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciples, whom Jesus, the, then the disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, the author of the book of John. The well, author of the first, second, third John, book of Revelation, that John. The John who sits next to uh, Jesus and lays his head on his shoulder. The closest friend uh, uh, that Jesus has in the disciples is John. And he, he leans over to Peter and says, Peter, it's the Lord, it's Jesus. What does Peter do? He, he just dives in the water. He is, he didn't walk on water, but he swam over there as quickly as he could to get to Jesus. You see, when you feel guilty about something, about anything, we need to remember to go to God, to bring ourselves to Jesus as quickly as possible. And Peter and the disciples, they didn't know what to do with their guilt. They didn't know what to do next. And so they went fishing. They had no concept of what was going to be with the coming of the Holy Spirit and the beginning of the church and things like that, that wasn't in their, in their wheelhouse. That wasn't in their uh, thinking at that time. So they took what they had, they did what they knew best. They went back to fishing, went back to their old job, went back to doing what they knew. And we find that when you feel guilty about anything, whether it's true guilt or false guilt or manipulation guilt, don't believe the lie that you can't come to God. That's the lie. We can always come to Christ because he forgives, he establishes us, and, and in the forgiveness of God, we find that there is a settling of the heart, there is a, a, pre, a peace and a presence that helps us deal with the obstacle that we're facing. Guilt will tell us that God will not accept us. Guilt will tell us that he, he wants nothing to do with you or your life, and he wants to punish you. But like he did with Peter, God invites you to come, and, and he comes running. You see, God's mercy seat, God's place of mercy is open to be receptive. You know, we talked about it in Sunday school that Jesus died for the sins of believers, because Jesus died for the sins of the world but there are people who will not accept his forgiveness so everyone can be everyone can be saved but there are people who choose not to the wages of sin is death people earn the right to go to hell but the gift of God is salvation so in our life God isn't looking for our works God is wanting our hearts He's wanting our lives in such a way that he can do a new thing. He can, he can fulfill and take us where he wants us to go without the hall bag. <laughs> in Hebrews, it says So now we draw near freely and boldly to where grace is enthroned, to receive mercy's kiss and discover the grace we urgently need to strengthen us in the time of weakness. We need mercy's kiss. Jesus loves us. So we come to Christ. We make it right. Peter made it to shore. He saw the fire burning coals and fish there. Uh, Jesus had prepared for them. Notice that this is the, there's only two times in, in scriptures where it's mentioned that, that people were like using charcoal. And one was when, Jesus, when Peter denied Jesus when he was warming himself. And the other time is when Jesus had a fire for the fish, and Peter comes. It's the same fire. Same same origin, the charcoal. Jesus was bringing Peter face to face with his guilt. Now, you know, Peter's a proud man. He's he's, he's this boisterous, in-your-face type of person. And, you know, he... Whenever it comes to going to the tomb, he outruns John, or John outruns him to the tomb, but John stands outside and looks in. Peter, he just runs right in, you know. He'd jump in with both feet. And so Peter comes face to face with his guilt. The man he denied, whom he promised he would never deny, is standing there. And on the coals of fire, which are the charcoal, is very similar to the charcoal that he was around when he denied Jesus. So what does Jesus do? He asked Peter this question. Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Now the more than these is like the fishing, the disciples, the work. Do you love this more than me? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Well, what he asked here, and, and, and of course, I don't know the Greek and all that, but the word that he is asking here, asking Peter for, is a total commitment. And Peter hedges on that. Why? Because in the Last Supper, Peter gave that total commitment pledge. I'll die with you before I deny you. And Jesus says to him, Peter, will you, will you put that pledge forward again? And Peter kind of backs off said, I love you, Lord, but, you know, I don't know about the rest of it. Then Jesus said to Simon Peter again, do you love me? Yes, Lord, you know I love you. Take care of my sheep. Same thing, supreme commitment. Jesus asked Peter for that supreme commitment, and Peter hedges on it again. And the third time when Jesus says, Peter, do you love me? He uses the word that is like the word that Peter is using, that it's like a partial thing. It's like, Peter, will you be partly committed to me? (laughs) And Peter, it's, it's, you know, rather than being hard on himself, Jesus was confronting Peter with this. And three times he asked him the question, because three times he denied him. In each of those situations, Peter, Jesus is bringing Peter to a confronting of what he had done, a confronting of his personality, confronting of his jump in there with both feet, I'll die for you. And he ran because it didn't happen the way he thought. And sometimes life doesn't go the way we think. How then do we respond to it? How then do we bring ourselves to a position where we will find Jesus in this and not run from him? And that will not drag this haul bag with us everywhere we go. You know, you go a short distance and you run out of of rope and you got to pull the rope, (laughs) you got to pull the haul bag up again. Jesus offers forgiveness for Peter, but Peter has to forgive himself. You see, God believes that the sacrifice of Christ is enough to fully satisfy any and every wrong we could have ever done or could ever do. God believes the sacrifice of Christ is sufficient. His sacrifice is sufficient to satisfy any sin, any wrong that we've ever done. And whenever we try to keep that sin or that thing, that sacrifice to ourselves, We are saying God doesn't know what he's saying. Isaiah says, But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief, if he would render himself as a guilt offering. Jesus took all of our guilt upon him so that we need never carry a haul bag of guilt. You see, Sometimes there is guilt feelings and sometimes there is guilt that belongs to an action. Guilt feelings is a manipulative thing. Guilt over something done wrong is a godly sorrow. So let us take the guilt, whether it's manipulated, just let it go to God. I always liken it to balloons. You know, you got an air balloon. If you can't attach guilt to a particular item. It's a guilt feeling. You take it outside and let it go. If you attach guilt to a wrongdoing, we ask for forgiveness. Take it outside and let it go. God is the one. He has provided us forgiveness. And when we won't forgive ourselves, we're saying to God that his son's sacrifice wasn't enough. It's not enough for me. (laughs) And you see, we'll keep our guilt We'll keep our frustrations and we'll keep our haul bag because we won't allow God to take it from us. But there is one thing that every one of us is guilty of. We've all sinned against the holy God and he wants to forgive us. And for many, he has forgiven. And that forgiveness has given us this opportunity to continue to come before God With our life, with our expectations, with our blessings, with our needs, we continually come to the presence of God, seeking Him to work in our life in a very real way. But we must allow Him to take away the guilt, to remove the haul bag of guilt, and to let it go. Because Jesus, He is the sacrifice that is sufficient for all our sins all our wrongs, all our guilt, and we are forgiven. (laughs) I am forgiven. Jesus, forgive me of my sins. Take away my guilt. I give it to you. In Jesus' name. (laughs) Guilt is gone. Peace has taken its place. I'm not manipulated. I am led. (laughs) Jesus, we thank you for hearing our prayers. It is a sacred moment that whenever we stop and pause to see, to hear, to feel your presence and to know, oh God, that by your spirit (laughs) you work in our hearts and lives. We are grateful. But God, the enemy of our soul wants to entangle us with So many things, but God, the one thing that always comes back to is your grace is sufficient. Your mercy, your divine favor is upon us. We are your child. And God, in that position of being your child, we are forgiven. You establish our going in and our coming out. You establish us in our way that we may serve you. And God, There is no more guilt because the the sufficiency of your grace and your forgiveness is now part of my life. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There's no more guilt, only peace. The bag, you can cut it loose. (laughs) No more dragging the bag. That's a good one. No more dragging the bag. <laughs> I am forgiven. Amen? Amen. God bless you. And leave your bag at the altar. <laughs> Amen.